Welcome to Southern Sisters Radio, the show for Southern women and the men who adore them. Join us as we celebrate life from a Southern point of view. Here's your host, author, founder of Southern Sisters Home and true Southern sister, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Southern Sisters Radio program. Yes, I'm your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart. We're here celebrating autumn again. Yes. Oh, did you happen to notice, Nick, I'm wearing my boots today? I didn't notice, but it's that it's that time. Yeah, All it's official. All the ladies have boots on. It's official. <laughs> they are lined up in the closet. I have personal relationships with each pair. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking guys don't feel the way about their boots that women do about theirs. Do each of yours have a story? How you found them or an, an occasion when you had them on yeah, kind of a deal? Kind of like my yeah. children. Yeah, I'm like, these are the least dirty pair they're going on today. Oh, no. No, I just love, for some reason, you know, autumn time, it, it, it's not necessarily the fashion. I, it's not because I like it all because of fashion, per se. I just like the feel of, you know, winter clothes. Oh, yeah, no, I agree bundling with Bundling up. You get to be cozy. Cozy. And cozy is where it's at. Isn't it right? Yeah. I am so cozy in my boots right now. <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm feeling good celebrating autumn. And you know, it kind of brings us to this whole concept of fall and autumn fashion. I was reflecting on that this week a little bit about how women look at it and men kind of look at it a little differently. You yeah. know, any change of season, you know, women are saying, okay, what am I wearing now? You know, what 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 fashion is going on during this particular yes. season? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So for women, it might be more suede, you know, mm-hmm. uh, knits, things, you know, warm, cozy yeah. clothing, wrap dresses, things like that. But I was thinking about men, and, and I'd, I'd like to draw a little comparison here, if we can, just a little bit okay. about how men and women look at autumn fashion a little differently. So, for example, when the the weather starts to chill a little bit, I'm thinking, you know, out go the bare legs and sandals, and in come the, let's say, suede boots, maybe leggings, tights, mm-hmm. Things yeah, of that nature, yeah. right? We kind of coordinate those. Um, but with guys, uh, I was trying to think of an equivalent. You guys basically trade in khaki shorts for khaki pants. Yeah. I mean, that's about it. Yeah, basically. Right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, in all honesty, yeah. I mean, I'm wearing, I wear blue jeans all year round. I wear dress right. pants all year round. And sometimes in the winter, even in the winter, if it's one of those warmer days, yeah. I'll toss on a pair of shorts on a 58 degree day just to get the just feel to, of the shorts in. But, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. But it's, it's it's just not a drastic change. And I was kind of, you can tell this, if you look in my, uh, in my closet mm-hmm. that I share with my husband, you know, there's his... Side okay. There's yeah. his, which basically <laughs> constitutes about twenty percent of the closet space, and then there's my 80 percent. Okay, that's normal. <laughs> and, then, and but mine kind of revolves and rotates out. Like we've got the things that are for winter and fall, kind of start moving towards the front. Mm-hmm. You know where I can reach them, and then the summer things, I kind of take those and push those towards the back. Yeah. Nothing ever changes mm-hmm. on my husband's side. The only thing that changes for me mm-hmm. is the heavier coats. The heavier coats move up towards the front, but beyond that, that's right. the only real wardrobe alteration that occurs. Yeah, it's very, it's very different, isn't it? I, I, I don't know what it is. How about shoes? Okay, so out go the sandals for me, the open-toed shoes. In come the boots and maybe the loafers and things like that. You guys don't even change the shoes, I mean, the shoes don't seem to change. Well, I, I, I will agree for most men, not a whole lot, but for me, a little bit more so. When it's right. colder, I like to wear the heavier, thicker socks, so I'll wear boots or, you know, things right. like that more so than a lot of my tennis shoes are like the airy, yeah. light, breathy. Those don't do too well in the wintertime. I gotcha. So, but I mean, my, my shoe kind of changes a little bit, but right. I go from wearing these two pairs to these two pairs, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's about it. You know, it kind of goes hand in hand with that whole concept I have about how unfair it is, the <laughs> 
difference between men and women. And my husband likes to tease me about it because we're getting ready to go somewhere, right? Yes. Okay. So I go in there, about 45 minutes maybe from beginning to end, maybe 40. I mean, if I'm really pushing it, mm-hmm. I'm talking from the time I hop in the shower to the time I am dressed and ready and walking out the, do- the door, you know, yeah. all done. And uh, he'll come in in the last five minutes, right? Zip, 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 done. And he'll comb his hair, you know, stand back and look at himself. He's done. Yep. He's done. And it, it makes me want to smack him. <laughs> and, he'll, and he knows that, too, right? So he'll say to me, uh, I'm done. How about you? I said, you've been in here for five minutes. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and you're right. He's a man. That's you, what it is. You ladies, you have to coordinate, and you've got to make yeah. sure the tops and the shoes and the bag and everything. All. Men, it's like, hey, I have clothes on. I'm good. It's I can a com- walk out the door. <laughs> it just makes me angry. It's a complicated process being a female. We are complicated creatures inside and out. I don't envy out. you for that. <laughs> no, you don't. Well, you know, speaking of fall, there's one thing that I know a lot of us associate with autumn, and we start seeing things change on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of us associate October, and as we're leaving, Leading up to Halloween here at the end of the month, we associate this time of year also with spiders. Yes. And I got to tell you, I got one. You she, have one? I have a spider. I have a spider. Now, here's how here's how it happened. Like I was on the spider. I mean, well, I like to think she is. Okay. Okay. She's, she's probably not. Uh, she doesn't think that. But uh, but I, I was out on the back porch, my covered back porch, and I'm, I'm I'm kind of sprucing up the furniture a little bit, pluffing up the pillows. And as I'm moving one of the pillows, I see something out of the corner of my eye kind of you know, move yeah. and, and it caught my attention. And I realized that I had disrupted a spider web. Oh, right? yeah. And so I look over and I see the spider and I'm telling you, Nick, this thing is, uh, I would say at least three, three and a half inches across. Ooh, this, wow. this is a big spider. So it's, yeah. It's not a little, no, itsy this, bitsy. this is a monstrous looking kind of, um, <laughs> kind of intimidating looking thing. Oh, right. My goodness, yeah. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at her because of course, I think it's a she. Uh, fair right? enough. And uh, she's she's beautiful. She's large. And I, I felt kind of bad that I'd messed up her uh, her spider web. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel like these things are kind of fascinating. I love to watch them. And so by about the next morning, she had relocated her 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 web and she had moved a little higher up on the wall. Mm. And she's got it stretched out, kind of near. We've got like an outdoor fireplace, and she kind of has it stretched across the ceiling and yeah. part of the outdoor fireplace. And so I've I've named her Charlotte. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and you know, of course, and I'm looking at her, and just this this intricate web that she has woven on my porch is is fascinating. And then once or twice, I've seen some little unsuspecting bug fly into her web, mm-hmm. right? And she'll sit there still, still as a mouse all day long. But as soon as something hits that web, you know, she darts over and grabs it. Yep. So I was watching her over a course of a couple of days and being the Southern woman that I am and my need to make sure that no one ever goes hungry. I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, I really should. Maybe I should feed her. Maybe I should help her. How? I, 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 I know it's crazy. I know it's crazy. <laughs> so I take a mason jar, right? And I poke a couple of holes in the top and I head out to the garden. I'm thinking, I just want to see her. You know, she had, looked like she hadn't eaten in days. So I'm thinking, yeah. I want to find something and give it to her and see what she does with it. Right. Yeah. But then I'm thinking, okay, I got to go out to the garden and commit some kind of murder to get <laughs> to get her some food. Yeah. But then I see this bumblebee and he's buzzing around my basil bushes and he's not looking too good. He's slowing down. Yeah. He's hanging onto one of the leaves and not moving, you know. And so I'm thinking, there's an unsuspecting little vulnerable yeah, insect. Enough. So I take my mason jar, I, I reach up and I grab the, um, you know, grab grab the bumblebee, get mm-hmm. him in the in the jar, along with a little piece of basil that he brought with him. Right. Yeah. So I've got the basil and the bumblebee in the mason jar, 
this is ridiculous. I, if anyone had seen me, they thought I was. They would have thought I was crazy. <laughs> so I head back onto the porch, and I'm looking. And by now, the bumblebee, he's really not moving. He was already, I think, almost dead. So I reach in there, and I grab the bumblebee and a little piece of the basil. And I get up, clo- I get up you know, kind of close to the nest, and I throw the bumblebee up onto the web, mm-hmm. right? So there goes the bumblebee and a little piece of basil onto the web. Like a rocket, Charlotte was on this thing, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, it was fascinating. So then she grabs it and she starts manipulating it and spinning it and moving it around and doing all these things to it, just having a a grand time. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I wonder if she really likes, I mean, do they eat bumblebees? Is that something they would normally eat pretty much anything that gets stuck in there? Really? Yeah. Well, she had a lot of fun with this one. I videotaped her as she spun (laughs) it. Yeah, it was very cool. It was very cool. And uh, she's just like a strong Southern woman. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she caught a moth the other day. This moth was bigger than she was. You oh, know, they're not scared. She believes. She, you know, Charlotte. She she definitely um, fits my motto, which is she believes she could, so she did. Yeah. You know, she's big. <laughs> so anyway, so Charlotte ends up taking this bumblebee. Eventually, I think what she does, I can t- kind of tell by looking at it, she kind of sucks the guts out of this bumblebee, mm-hmm. and then just kind of discards the rest of it. Yep. Right. So she kicks it right out of the of the web down onto the floor. And uh, and she didn't like the basil either. <laughs> not a not, uh, a, not a vegetarian she's not, spider. She's not. A, she's not an Italian <laughs> vegetarian. She's not making any mozzarella salads with basil. Anyway, folks, there's my there's my Charlotte the spider story. Welcome to autumn. That's what we're celebrating today. Yes. We've got all kinds of things going on uh, today on our show. We are going to be talking about uh, winter squash. Even though it's, mm. it's it's autumn, but that's when we start eating our winter squash. Yep. We have got seven varieties you can't live without and some awesome recipes to go along with them. As well as some, let's just say we say, southern wedding etiquette. Ooh. Got some lessons for everybody today. Teach you some coos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And our southern narrative this week, ghostly southern stories from across the south. This will be fun. It's going to be fun. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Southern Sisters Radio Program. It is food talk time. This this is my favorite segment. Yeah. I say that about every segment. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is this is the one you can enjoy now mm-hmm. and later and That's whenever right. you want. That's right. And in keeping with our sort of themes here at the Southern Sisters Radio Program, we always do everything that is seasonally appropriate, right? Of course. We're in autumn, so we're talking about autumn food. I mean, we've done some fun food so far the past couple mm, of yes, weeks. Yes, we have. State fair food, all the good corn dogs that we did. Oktoberfest food, oh, which, that... by the way, I'm having again tonight. Really? Those German beer sausages cheese. and beer cheese soup. And... Beer cheese soup on the mm. menu for Saturday night. Really? Oh, yes. Just, oh, good for you. It's going to be so good. It's easy, too. <laughs> you, know, you can whip that up. It is so good. It's even good leftover. It you is. Know, you can eat on it for a One couple of, of days. One of few things, yeah. If you don't eat it all the first night, like I usually do, <laughs> go back in at 10 o'clock. I'm just going to have another little bowl of that beer cheese soup. But guys, how about this? And I, You know, maybe you don't get real excited about squash. <laughs> I just, you know, I realized when I was working on my notes, I'm going to tell folks we're talking about squash, which, you know, in and of itself doesn't sound too terribly exciting, but I think we can make it exciting. Okay. Yeah. So if you say, as Nick shared with me, um, that that his significant other is not really crazy about squash. Nope. Right. Sad. And, and the question is, well, which squash is it that she doesn't like? 
is it summer squash or winter squash? Because quite frankly, they're they're very different. They are different, yes. Okay. When you think of some of the summer vegetables like zucchini and summer yellow summer, the little hook neck squash, mm-hmm. the yellow, um, yeah, that's really more watery, um, very flavorful. I love it. Uh-huh. But it's actually quite different than what we think of as winter squash, okay, which tends to be much denser, bigger. Just a different consistency all around, really. Yeah, yeah I mean, like you said, it kind of it kind of resembles more of a potato than your standard garden vegetable. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's a starchier vegetable, exactly. shall we say? So, from acorn to turban, guys, winter squash are some of the most delicious and versatile ingredients of the season. Now, unlike summer squash, these are harvested in autumn when they are hard and ripe, and most varieties can be stored and enjoyed for us to use through the winter. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you ever buy one of those in the in the fall, you buy some of those pretty uh, winter squash, you can set them on the counter just for decorations, right? Yeah. And then, you know, you can you can cut them up a month later, and they're, and they're usually just good. fine. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I made some uh, dumpling squash for my husband last week, and I used three dumpling squash that had been sitting on my counter for about three <laughs> weeks, and, and he came and he goes, we're eating those? I didn't even know you could eat those. I thought they were just decorations, and I'm like, well, you know, no, you can, you know. They, they're both. They're, they're both. <laughs> the, Decoration now, dinner later. Right? I love that about it. It serves two purposes. Well, we're going to talk about some of the most um, popular varieties of winter squash here in the South, guys. And I'm going to talk also about what we can do with them and a couple of fun recipes. How about acorn squash? Now, this is one of my favorites. I remember my mother making this when I was a little girl. She would roast it in the oven. She'd cut it in half, hollow out the seeds, Mm. and then she'd cover it with butter and cinnamon and nutmeg and just roast it in the oven until it was golden and bubbly and soft and Oh, it was so good. Now, acorn squash, that's uh, kind of small in size. They typically weigh around one to two pounds. They have that orange-yellow flesh and that thick, you know, dark green and orange skin on the outside. Right side. So you want to choose acorn squash that have a firm exterior. You don't ever want to buy squash that have any soft spots or blemishes or if they feel too heavy for their size. Okay. They feel like a rock. That's not it's a no-go. That's okay. really not good. Right. You want to store them in a cool, dry place, and they will keep for at least one month, which I what? find remarkable. Well, yeah, I it's mean, definitely useful, too. What else can you put out on the counter that's still going to be good a month from now, right, that's after you picked it? Basically nothing. Now, acorn squash has a mild, subtly sweet, and kind of a nutty flavor. The skin is edible. Really? It, it is indeed. Now, I don't, it's not my favorite part of the squash for sure, but, but like most varieties of winter squash, guys, acorn squash is very versatile. You can bake it, roast it, it can be steamed, sauteed, or even cooked in the microwave. You can boil it like I do, cut it up into chunks mm-hmm. and, and boil it, and then I puree it for soup. Ooh, How about that? That sounds good. Now, have you ever heard of a banana squash? Yes, of course. Okay. Now, this is a large, elongated squash. Do you know these things can grow up to two to three feet in length, and they can weigh as much as 40 pounds? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so if I had a 40-pound banana squash, I'm entering that thing in some kind of contest. <laughs> yes. Right? I'm going to win. It has a smooth orange, pinkish skin and bright orange flesh on the inside. Typically, you can buy these whole, but you can also find some. sometimes grocery stores will do us a favor and cut them in half or cut yes. them in quarters and then package them mm-hmm. so you don't have to you don't have to buy a 40 you don't have to lug squash. a baby sized squash no. <laughs> <laughs> and you can use it just like you would use most other forms of squash you can roast it you can put it in soups and stews now you're probably familiar with butternut squash but mm-hmm. have you heard of buttercup Buttercup squash? Buttercup squash, okay. Now, it is a squat and round squash with an edible dark green uh, rind, right? And it's firm and dense. It has also has a vibrant orange flesh. 
Um, it is wonderful. It's distinguished by a round ridge on its bottom that goes all the way around the bottom. It's kind of unusual looking, right? Mm-hmm. And you want to, um, as with anything, you want to buy nice, clean, fresh ones, no blemishes, no scars, things like that that can actually affect the interior. Yeah. Now, the buttercup squash has a very sweet and creamy flavor. It's considered sweeter than some of the other uh, you know, winter squash varieties. Now, its flesh tends to be a little drier. So, so guys, with the buttercup squash, you're better off steaming it or baking it. Got it? Yeah. You know, I'm going to be posting a, a recipe on our website. And as always, guys, everything we talk about uh, on our on the Southern Sisters show, our recipes will be on our website. You just go to southernsistershome.com and click on the blog. I'm going to post a, uh, a, a squash and coconut curry Ooh. recipe. Hello mm-hmm. is good. I'm going to post that recipe on our website today. You can use the buttercup squash or really any variety. Now, butternut squash, we know about that one, right? We know about that. It's that pear-shaped squash that has a smooth and sort of cream-colored exterior. It's not real dark, and it's got that bright orange flesh and not too many seeds, right? Now, it's got the, uh, this is really probably the sweetest variety of winter squash, which may explain why so many people love it. Yeah. You know, even when my children were babies, I would boil this and I would puree it and use it like baby food. That the kids absolutely oh. loved it. It's nice and sweet. And really, a lot of a lot of the things that you can do with pumpkin, you can do with butternut squash because it's got that sweetness to it. Now, you may have heard of spaghetti squash. Oh yes. Okay. Spaghetti squash. Spaghetti squash. Right. It's it's kind of a um, um, cylindrical shape. You know what I'm saying? It's got a firm exterior. It can be anywhere from pale cream to bright yellow. Um, but it's what's so wonderful about it is you can roast it or steam it, and then you can scrape out the insides, where, which are actually strands, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where you get that that phrase, um, spaghetti squash, yeah. right? You can top it with marinade, marinara, pesto, or mix it with other veggies. You can eat it as you would spaghetti, which is great for you guys that are watching the waistline with a low-carb <laughs> diet. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Don't have to give up spaghetti if you invest in some spaghetti squash. That's very true. Mm-mm. Now, my favorite. Sweet dumpling squash, guys. These are fabulous. This is what was sitting on my on my counter for <laughs> probably close to a month before I decided to cook them, and it was a big hit. I made this dish last week, guys, and and as with all of the squashes, you can do lots of different things with them. But also remember this: you can basically stuff them with just about anything. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you how I stuffed my. Um, Sweet dumpling squash last week, and what a hit it was. Um, but just, just to think about it, you can, with squash, you can stuff it with anything. You can stir it. You can chop it up, cook it. You can stir it into risotto, any rice dish, or even pasta. One of my favorite things to do with winter squash is to uh, cook it first, roast it, however you're going to do it, right? You want it cooked first. You're going to saute a little onion and then puree the squash with chicken broth, the sauteed onions, some um uh, whipping cream or half and half, a little salt and pepper. It's simple. Ooh. It's fresh. It's it's autumn in a bowl. Yeah. We talked about that last week, right? <laughs> With our our roasted pumpkin soup. The same principle. But my big hit the the big hit at my house last week was definitely my stuffed dumpling squash. And what I did, guys, and this recipe, uh, the exact recipe will be on my uh, website. So of course, just go and look at southernsistershome.com. I started with three of my dumpling squash. Now, these are the cutest little things. They're so pretty. Um, they're kind of smallish, and they've got that, like, green. They can be kind of, like, green and white, mm-hmm. kind of striped and with a little bit of orange, maybe, or bright yellow in there. They're just very colorful. Now, what I did was I cut my acorn, uh, my uh, dumpling squash in half. Now, this could be a little bit of a task, okay? So just be prepared. I used a chef's knife 
I got my knife into the uh, into the squash. Did I tell the story last week? I don't even remember. I, don't know. I, I told it a couple so. of times, and I kind of then it, it, my knife got stuck halfway through yeah. the, the acorn squash. I was cutting it halfway between the stem and the root, mm-hmm. and so I, I started banging it on the counter to get the knife to go all the way through. Uh-oh. Right? Okay. So then it did, but then it catapulted one half <laughs> of my of my squash across. across the room, right? And it spiraled. So so acorn seeds were like just pelleting all parts of my of my kitchen. Oh my I found them in the refrigerator. I found them <laughs> all over the place. It was a big mess. Anyway, guys, don't do as I do. Do as I do as I say. You want to cut the squash in half. You want to turn them upside down in a baking dish with about a quarter inch of water and roast them for about 40 minutes till they're nice and soft. All right. Then what you're going to do before you did that, guys, you need to scoop out the seeds. Don't forget to do that. And very important. Very important. You're going to saute a large onion, right, and some celery until it's nice and soft. And then what you're going to do is in a bowl, you're going to mix some cornbread crumbs with the onion and the celery, about some a uh, half a cup of golden raisins, some toasted pecans, and um, and you're going to scoop out a little bit of that of that uh, squash and mix mm. it all together till you've got this nice soft. Uh, stuffing. Wet, wet it down with some chicken broth is how I do it. Combine it good and then stuff it back into your squash halves. Ooh. Roast them in the oven until golden and bubbly. It'll change your life. That sounds delicious. Recipes on the website, folks, and we'll be right back. Now don't be so bashful, Nashville. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Hey, this is... Going to the chapel and we're gonna get married. Going And welcome back to the Southern Sisters Radio Program. It's wedding season. It Rick. is wedding season. <laughs> you, know, you know, people think, oh no, wedding season is June. That is not the case anymore. No, it's not. I mean, June is definitely a busy time for weddings, but um, I'm telling you, in the South. October, September, October are huge wedding months. Oh, absolutely. Yes. It's, it's because it's that it's finally starting to cool down. Exactly. You know, it's, yeah. it's the important stuff. Not everybody wants to sweat at a wedding. Very valid You know what point. I'm saying? Especially if you're doing it outside. And I, I have to tell you, I am speaking as someone who knows the subject very well. <laughs> okay, so there have been four weddings in my family, uh, in my immediate family, in the past year. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so my daughter was married last year. I was married on New Year's Day of this year. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yes, I was, and so that was a that was a New Year's Day fun you know, festive <laughs> wedding. And then my my stepson was married in June, so that was a classic, beautiful Southern wedding. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, my second daughter, mm-hmm. was just married last month in yes. September, and that was an autumn wedding. And so it is definitely a time of year when people are thinking about weddings, planning weddings, attending weddings, mm-hmm. which is what we're talking about. Today and if, oh, I was going to tell you to to just to have an October wedding. We had to book my daughter's wedding venue a year in advance. Oh, I'm sure. Usually, usually they tell you to get twelve right. to eighteen months in yes. advance to make sure you've got the place. And I, yes, and I'll tell you for some mothers of the bride who are busy planning events like this, <laughs> sometimes. And of course, I'm not going to say that I did this, of course. <laughs> but sometimes you might have to actually book that wedding venue before the ring is actually on the. Finger. Uh, now, I'm not saying I did that, <laughs> but I'm. Just, 
I'm just saying, you like a good Girl you. Scout, <laughs> it's best to be prepared. <laughs> anyway, guys, you know what we're going to talk about today? Southern weddings, which are, my goodness, we could do an entire show just on the subject of Southern weddings, because not, nobody, in my opinion, knows how to do weddings like we do here in the South. That's true. And as much as fun as we have going and enjoying the weddings, it's also important to remember that there is some etiquette involved. Right? Yes. There's etiquette involved on both the part of the wedding party and the family that's having the wedding and on the part of the guests. I'd say more so on the guests for certain parts. Would you agree? Some people show up and, and forget that they're at a wedding, I think. Thank you very much. Yes. So thanks to the Southern Sisters, <laughs> we are here to go over some, shall we just say, appropriate Southern etiquette for those of you that may be attending a wedding anytime in the near future. Yes. Okay. And like I said, having had four weddings in the past year, I've seen a little bit of all these things. You are now an expert. Not naming names. <laughs> I'm not call. I'm not calling anybody out. But it's important to remember, guys, that a wedding, we all know it's a very momentous and spiritual event, quite frankly, yes. for most families. And so to be a good guest is a, is a Um, is a good thing, shall we say? We're going to talk about that. Now, when it comes to wedding guest etiquette, Southern girls, in my opinion, we typically have it down pretty good. Okay, so we're going to talk about some rules for you to remember. And let's start with number one. And this is something that I think I just assumed that everybody knew this, Mm -hmm. uh, but not everybody does. Or at least maybe they forget and just need a friendly reminder. That is, it is important if you receive uh, a wedding invitation to actually RSVP yes. for the wedding. Yes. Okay. Now, I don't mean to sound like a nag, but I'm going to nag here just a little bit. Okay. So when you got somebody that's putting on an ex- you know, a wedding mm-hmm. that is an expensive proposition, you know, it's important for you to notify them whether you're coming or not. That's the reason yes. the RSVP is on there. Because they got to get catering lined up and everything else that goes along with it. Yeah. Yes. It all affects the bottom line, doesn't mm-hmm. it? So, you know, in the, this day and age, what I kind of like, I had I had two different daughters that got married of my own, and they did it two different ways. The first one was more traditional, and she did the, the sort of traditional RSVP card, yes. right, where you fill it out, a little envelope is provided, and it's mailed back to the bride's family, and that is your official RSVP. Daughter number two who just did things her own different way. <laughs> she was the one with flowers in her hair, getting married under a pecan tree. She's a little bit more modern. And so for her, it was an, an online RSVP service that she used. Hey. And that was so easy, right? Whichever one you use, just make sure you respond. <laughs> just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> just do it. So guys, even if you see the couple, the wedding couple on a regular basis, always send in your official RSVP on time. Right. If the invitation doesn't include a response card, it's perfectly acceptable to send in your response on personal stationery. OK, so if something dire comes up at the last minute and you are unable to attend the wedding. Right. And if it's an emergency, um, it's only proper wedding etiquette, of course, to alert the couple as soon as you know that you've got a conflict mm-hmm. with the date. Right. Common courtesy. Yes. Right. Now, how about this one, folks? You don't want to assume that you have a plus one. Now, a plus one, some of you may not even know what I mean by that. If you have been to or have thrown a wedding, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This means that if you receive an invitation, the invitation is intended for you and only you. Unless the wedding invitation says, and guest. Right. Yes. Okay. And it's interesting. Different different uh, folks have different guidelines for this. I know that with my daughters, uh, they they included a plus one for their guests if they knew the guests were in a relationship. Okay. So if they were married, obviously you yes. always, always, always include 
a uh, little little point of etiquette there for those throwing the wedding. You, you never send an invitation to one spouse or one person and not include the spouse. Um, but if it's a serious relationship, um, that's kind of how my daughters made that designation. Yeah. Now, it is possible, and we had this happen, that someone that was maybe just uh, not dating uh, when the invitations are first sent out suddenly is in a very serious relationship closer mm-hmm. to the wedding time. So we actually allowed for a couple of little last-minute additions. Okay. You know what Fair I'm enough, saying? Yeah. Okay. So, but never assume, guys, that you have a plus one and don't ask for one either. That's considered bad form. If the invitation doesn't say your name plus the name of your significant other other, or and guest, then plan to attend solo, which, by the way, is, is perfectly fine, right? Especially you Southern girls. You know there will be plenty of dance partners, all right? Even if you don't bring your own. <laughs> don't worry, okay? Now, how about this one? Give as you'd like to receive. Now, a Southern girl knows the best gift she can give the newlyweds is what they've been asking for, okay? So purchase your present early on, right, early in the process, so you're not stuck choosing between a, you know, a $300 espresso machine and a whisk, right? (laughs) (laughs) So if funds are tight, you can always try sprucing up a smaller ticket item with a personal touch, like pairing a set of inexpensive coffee mugs with a bag of locally brewed coffee. That's a lovely gift, right? And if you're going to go off, if you're going to be a wild person and go off the registry, right, which some people do, um, good wedding guest etiquette is always to include a gift receipt, just in case it's something that they cannot use, right? Mm. Okay. And I used to think, oh, the registry, it's so boring, you know, but you know what? It's what they want. It, it, make, it makes everything so much easier. Right. So much easier. Right. If you're both. thinking to yourself, I would much rather give them, uh, you know, this lamp with a, a picture of a moose on it because <laughs> I just think they would enjoy that. Don't don't even go there. You know what I'm saying? Stick <laughs> with the registry. <laughs> <laughs> now, ladies, how, this is a special one for the ladies. Never wear white. I guess this could apply to the men, too, but I don't see many men wearing white white suits but never wear never wear white to the wedding now the golden rule of wedding guest attire has of late been a little bit of a point of contention all right now while some say that white is all right others swear that any shade cream ivory etc is off limits now a southern girl knows that no matter how great her tan looks in that breezy ivory dress and it might look great right (laughs) it's not worth wearing the same color as the bride on her big day. I'm not even a, a lady and I know that. Do you Don't really? wear white at, to yeah. a wedding. Well, I've That's often said, Nick, default. you're a good Southern man. This, this comes natural to you. It's just a default. It just means your mama taught you right. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, guys, next rule of good etiquette for guests attending a Southern wedding is to be on time. <laughs> right? <gasps> Leave early if you have to. Arriving late to a wedding is, of course, it's never a wise idea. It's best to arrive at least 20 minutes before the ceremony is set to begin, right? So thinking about skipping the ceremony and only attending the reception, that's a no-no, unless there's a legitimate reason for do so for doing so. Mm-hmm. I, I actually had that happen to me once. I was at a book signing. Very much wanted to attend the wedding, though, but I contacted them ahead of time and said, I will come straight from my book event, and I will be there, and I was, and it was great. And but like you said, you contacted them, them first, yes. That's the, that's the trick. Don't just not show up to the ceremony and exactly. show up for the party. Um, exercise cell phone caution. <sighs> Silent. Please, please just put, put the thing away. Leave it in the car if you have to. <laughs> Texting, tagging, posting, and Snapchatting are really off limits, especially during the ceremony. Mm-hmm. Now, during the ceremony, uh, you know, just let the wedding photographer do his job. And this is what we kind of encourage people to do at our wedding, okay? Otherwise, do you know what happens, Nick? If you got everybody, in this day and age, we all want to flip out our cell phones mm-hmm. and take pictures, right? Then what you end up with is the photographer is taking pictures 
of your guests during the ceremony and they've all got their cell phones in the air. Yep. We don't want to see that. And it doesn't look good. Mm-mm. Remember to congratulate everybody, not just the bride and the groom, but the families. This is two families becoming one. Yes. Right? This congratulations are in order for everybody all around. And remember to participate, guys. Sign the guest book. Share the hashtag. Play the games they're playing. Respect the program and the traditions. Catch the bouquet. And for goodness sakes, dance, dance, dance. Enjoy yourself, right? You'll never catch a good Southern girl with her arms crossed at a wedding celebration. There you go. Oh, last little point. Enjoy the open bar, but not too much. Oh, my goodness, please. You know what I mean by this? (laughs) Yeah, we had one of those. Oh, my gosh. Those are never fun. (laughs) And if you can, stay until the end, guys. Stay till the end of the party and see the happy couple off. Don't eat and run. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Being a good good Southern wedding guest, it's an important thing to remember. It is. Yes. We'll be right back. Southern Sisters Radio Show. Now, with your Southern narrative, sharing stories from around the South, here is your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart. There's something about the chilly October air that makes the Halloween season a perfect time to share scary ghost stories. The South's bizarre history, obscure happenings, and inexplicable circumstances provide the perfect setting for these scary stories. Here are some of the scariest Southern ghost stories that we could find in folklore and research. These may be real ghosts, and they may just be scary legends of the South. There are plenty of famous Southern ghosts. The Bell Witch, whose legend in part inspired the Blair Witch Project, still haunts northwestern Tennessee. Florida's ghost of Bellamy Bridge still roams the swamps searching for unrequited love. There are ghosts that linger in famous Southern haunts, Southern folklore, scary folk tales, and ghost stories. But just be warned, these ghosts may haunt near you. The Bell Witch, Adams, Tennessee. Perhaps one of the most notorious ghosts in the world, Tennessee's Bell Witch legend has been around for over 200 years. In the early 1800s, John Bell moved his family to northwestern Tennessee's Red River Settlement. A few years later, Bell encountered strange animals sitting in the middle of his cornfield. One animal had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit, and when Bell attempted to kill the creepy creature, it ran away. The family soon after began hearing mysterious knockings, rattling chains, faint whispering, and even dog fights in the dead of night. For years, the Bell family kept their troubles a secret. Finally, John Bell shared his family's trouble with his neighbors, and soon the entire region had heard of the Bell's witch. After years of torment, John Bell was mysteriously poisoned, and the spirit's visits became far less frequent. A number of theories attempt to explain the witch's presence, blaming a series of women, including Betsy Bell herself. But some local folks still insist the strange things still happen around the Red River Settlement and blame the Bell Witch. The Ghost of Lavinia Fisher, Charleston, Tennessee. Many myths surround the legend of Lavinia Fisher, a 19th century Charleston woman convicted for highway robbery and hung just off Meeting Street. Some claim she was America's first female serial killer, 
based on speculation that she and her husband would lure travelers to their inn, slip poison in their tea, steal their belongings, and carry their bodies out back. However, she and her husband actually belonged to a band of highway thieves and were never actually accused of being a serial murderer. Still, the details surrounding her death are chilling. Believing that she would be pardoned up until the moment she was hung, Lavinia, according to legend, used her last breath to scream, If you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me and I'll carry it. Her ghost still haunts the old Charleston jailhouse, and tourists still claim sightings of her ghostly apparition. Ghosts of the LaLaurie Mansion, New Orleans, Louisiana. To this day, Delphine LaLaurie's extravagant Creole mansion in New Orleans' French Quarter is the city's most legendary haunted house due to the gruesome torture that occurred over 200 years ago. Dr. Luis LaLaurie and his wife Delphine were once known to be one of Creole society's most influential high society couple. However, Delphine soon gained a reputation for being brutally cruel to her servers, and neighbors began noticing the unexplained disappearance of parlor maids and stable boys. One night, after a fire broke out in the kitchen, firefighters discovered a chilling secret room full of tortured servants. Word spread throughout New Orleans, and angry citizens formed a mob dead set on avenging the tortured humans. Though LaLaurie managed to escape to France, and haunted souls began seeking revenge on the building's occupants immediately, the house fell into ruin. No one wanted to live in a house haunted by tortured souls. The Ghost of Bellamy Bridge, Mariana, Florida There are many different versions of the story. Nonetheless, the Bellamy Bridge ghost just might be Florida's most infamous ghastly legend. Bellamy Bridge is an old steel frame bridge that spans the Chipola River, just north of Mariana. On dark and foggy nights, Elizabeth Jane Bellamy is said to roam the swamps surrounding the bridge, mourning the loss of love cut short. Elizabeth was only 18 when she died, days after marrying her husband, local politician and planter Samuel C. Bellamy. In one version, her extravagant wedding gown caught fire the night of her wedding. In another, she contracted malaria. After her death, her husband, so stricken with grief, eventually committed suicide. Visitors to the Bellamy Bridge claim to have seen fire extending from the bridge, mysterious white lights, and even the ghostly figure of a young woman walking through the fog. The Lady of Huntington, Montgomery, Alabama. In the early 20th century, a young woman named Martha started college at the Women's College of Alabama, complying with her father's will. Martha's favorite color was red, and she decorated every surface of her dorm room in Pratt Hall in the crimson shade. Because she didn't make friends easily, Martha lived alone on campus, and she was very unhappy. She retreated to her room, living in isolation, and only left her bed in the middle of the night. One evening, after failing to attend classes and dinner, Martha was found lying on the floor in her room, dead. To this day, generations of Huntington students have claimed to have witnessed Martha's ghost, the Red Lady, roaming around the halls at night, emitting a strange red glow. (laughs) 
The Myrtles Chloe, St. Francisville, Louisiana. One of the legend's many spirits haunting the Myrtles Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana, the ghost of Chloe may be the most notorious. According to legend, Clark Woodruff, owner of the estate, was having an affair with Chloe, a house servant. Eventually, Woodruff tired of Chloe, and Chloe, fearing that she would be sent back to the fields to work, began eavesdropping on the family's conversations to see if they spoke of her. Woodruff caught her and cut off her ear as punishment. To hide the scar, she always wore a green scarf. Now, nobody knows if Chloe did what she did next to get back in the family's good graces or as revenge, but she slowly poisoned a birthday cake, and Woodruff's wife and two children died. The other servants, ashamed of Chloe's evil acts, hung her in a nearby tree. While this legend may be pure folklore, a mysterious photograph of a woman, woman's figure lurking in a shaded corner taken in 1992 has perpetuated Chloe's myth. Dolly Madison. Dolly Madison, wife of the fourth president of the United States, James Madison, is one of our country's most beloved first ladies. Known for turning the D.C. swamps into a social hub, Dolly endeared everyone with her wit and charm. But she didn't like to be tested. During her time living at the White House, Dolly built a beautiful rose garden. Years later, when Mrs. Woodrow Wilson occupied the White House, she requested the rose garden be replaced. Legend has it that the moment workers turned their spades, Dolly's ghost arrived and chased them all away. Now that sounds like a realistic story about a southern woman. The Ghost of Julia Ligari, Edisto Island, South Carolina. Legend has it that in the mid-1800s, young Julia Ligari was visiting Edisto Island. She fell ill with diphtheria and fell into a deep coma. After being pronounced dead, she was buried in her family's crypt. When her brother passed away 15 years later, her family opened the crypt and found her body pressed against the door, trying to escape. Thought for dead, she had been alive all along. Throughout the years, the crypt's doors would randomly fall open. Eventually, even the chained stone would not remain hinged, and the family members gave up and removed the door entirely. Some locals swear that the scratches on the inside of this crypt were made by Julia, desperately trying to escape being buried alive. Ghost of Wright Square, Savannah, Georgia. Savannah has no shortage of ghost stories, and the tale of the Wright Square ghost may be the creepiest we've heard. The spooky story begins in 1724, after a man was found lying strangled on his bed. Although the deceased man, William Wise, was known to be slightly shady, his death still caused quite a stir in the community. Investigators convicted two of his servants, Alice Riley and Richard Wright. Although the two attempted to flee, they were eventually caught and sentenced to death. Alice's execution was delayed until after she gave birth to her son, James. Although Alice adamantly proclaimed innocence, eight months later, she faced Wright Square's gallows. A short while later, her son died. 
Legend has it that she haunts pregnant women and mothers with infants searching for her lost baby. Next time you're in Savannah, notice the shortage of Spanish moss in Wright Square. According to folklore, Spanish moss will not grow where innocent blood has been spilled. Well, folks, that wraps it up for us this week on the Southern Sisters Radio Program. Do you have some good ghost stories? I do love a good ghost story. And guess what? We're going to be talking ghost stories for the next couple of weeks leading up to Halloween. So if you've got some you'd like us to share, we'd love to do it. Just send us an email. Contact us at radio at southernsistershome.com. Just head on over to the website also for our recipes. Want to know more about the squash and those good recipes that we shared, plus extras? They'll be on the site, southernsistershome.com. I hope you guys have a great week. 